Six bucks. If that costs six bucks, I have lost even more respect for Duncan. Of course, he's going to. Yeah, this is the same thing. Because the part that just touched the lips is now inside the drink. It's really, it's fine. Don't worry. Okay, All right. Okay. All right. Now you ask. Is it, are you disease free? <laughs> oh shoot. All right. I know. And we've got an awesome awkward moment. So let's transition into it. Yeah, we should transition by doing like the bear hunt. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like for real? <laughs> I don't care. We could do it. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Yeah, there we go. That'd be good. That'd be good. All right. Okay. So let's let's get let's get rolling. Let's get to something actually beneficial. Not that that wasn't. No, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about the whole Dunkin' Donuts fiasco. Oh, I was just gonna have Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Moving on. Moving on from there. Okay. So redeeming the time. So this is what we've been doing. Uh, quick hit for those of you that have not been a part of us. This has been our theme verse. Is God tells us very, very specifically that we are supposed to be wise. That we are supposed to redeem the time that God's given us because the days are evil. And the longer you live, it's kind of funny. Whenever I was a kid, I remember adults and even certain opinions that I had at the time. Where I'm like, man, this world is so bad. Could it get any worse? We're like, oh my gosh, no. Jesus is going to come back soon. Well, yeah, this just kind of keeps happening. And so, obviously, we're still here. God has something that he wants us to accomplish. That is one thing that is absolutely true. When God wants us out of here, we'll be out of here. But until then, there's still something that he wants us to do. And specifically when it comes to people that need to get saved. And there's people that need to learn how to walk with God. And we need to be fruitful and multiply. So we need to redeem the time that God's given you. God doesn't waste what he gives. And so he's given you time for you to use. So how are you using the time that God's given you? And so we've been talking about how you've been divinely designed by God. That there's no mistake with the way that God made you. With the family that he's put you in. When it comes to uh, your skills, abilities, your strengths and weaknesses. Everything about you was uniquely designed by God for a purpose. There are people that you can reach that I can't. There are people that I can reach that you can't. And a lot of that could even come with some of your, your background, with your, your, the way you grew up, some of the, the memories that you made, some of the mistakes that you've made. Some of the ways that we identify best with people is through the common mistakes that we've made. And so it's a great way for you to minister. A lot of times our flesh and the enemy wants us to feel very guilty about those things in our life. Things that we don't like about ourselves, the mistakes that we've made that we, that we greatly regret when God wants to use those things for His honor and His glory. And oftentimes God is, is most glorified in those things. So you are divinely designed by God and there's no coincidence that you are here right now at this point in history for a reason. And then you were made for a mission and that mission is? What's that question? Worship. 
Well, I just stopped, so I'm, I'm wanting someone to kind of finish my, my thought. What's that? Okay. Okay, yeah. A true worshiper of God. Yes, yeah. So creating, propagating true worshipers of God through? Yes, evangelism and discipleship, the work of the Lord. And so how do we do that? And so we talked a lot about that, but you were made to do that. Um, you might not feel like you're made to do that. You might feel like there's some things you are totally inadequate with. Welcome to the club. We all are. Um, but you won't get any experience unless you dive in and start doing it. And if you know how to get saved, if you were born again, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know at least that much. You know what it's like to be someone who's lost, and you can help someone to understand what does it mean to truly be saved, to be right with God, and to lead them in that direction. And that's really all you need to begin. I mean, there's a lot of good things about the Bible. I mean, guys, we're going to talk about this again at our, at our breakfast on Saturday. There's a lot of neat things about the Bible, some really good nuggets of knowledge. But at the end of the day, frankly, if you're not being obedient in the things that you do know, it doesn't matter. Like, in some ways, it actually makes your walk with God worse because you're learning more stuff and then you're not doing anything with what you already know. So keep that in mind. So you are made for that mission, evangelism and discipleship. Uh, seeing people that are lost come to know Christ as their Savior and then helping them to grow in their understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, what it means to understand the Scriptures and to walk with God, what it means to be obedient to the Spirit of God, what it means to even know when the Spirit of God is speaking to you and what that even looks like. Our culture is so screwed up with that. I mean, it's unbelievable. There are so many different charismatic false doctrines that are out there where they say it's the Spirit of God when it has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. How do you know? How do you know? How, do you, how can you discern between those things? Very important things to learn how to do, which is why we have discipleship as, as a part of our ministry that you should be a part of. So you were made for that mission. And we talked about evangelism, and we talked about discipleship, which we just hit. And then last week we started talking about the body of Christ and how we were built as a body and that we need each other. And so the front page, page 9, which is what we talked about last week, I'm just going to run through it really quick just to keep everyone in line with the point 2 and 3 that we're going to be hitting tonight. But we started talking about the body's identity. What is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is a group of born-again believers that have been forgiven, redeemed, blessed, accepted, and adopted by God as His children to glorify Him and to be holy without blame before Him in love. And in the process of time, He's going to gather every member of His body in Christ together, and He will give us an inheritance throughout all eternity. It is, it is a group of people that they are predestined. They are in the heart and mind of God. Their purpose is to glorify God and really to be a, a special group of people that will glorify Him like, like no one else can. So who's a part of this body? We talked about how if you want to be a part of that body of Christ, it's all those that freely choose to be born again, that are saved and are indwelt by the Holy Ghost. And once that happens at the moment of salvation, that you are spiritually baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. That's what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 8, and Galatians 4. So how does someone become a member of it? You need to hear and believe the gospel. Hear and believe the gospel. Saving faith comes by hearing the Word of God and believing it. And then, of course, Romans 10.13 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we spent a little bit extra time talking about when was the body born, because it wasn't a part of the Old Testament. So when you go back and you think about Abraham, and you think about David, and you think about Solomon, you think about you know, Adam and Eve, you think about uh, Jacob, you think about you know, every, everybody that's in the Old Testament, they were not part of the body of Christ. It was not something that existed yet. And Ephesians makes that abundantly clear. So the body of Christ was born 
at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Ephesians 2.16 is the clearest verse in your Bible that tells you when the body actually came into existence. Ephesians 2.16. It was by the death of Jesus Christ. And then the, the, uh, it was given life by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, which happens in Acts 2. So you can look that out and we started getting into some doctrinal studies on that one. And so, talking about there, when will it be finished? So it's something that started, and there's going to be an end to that, and we talk about when it's going to be finished. And we talked about it's finished when the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Romans 11:25 clearly says that, uh, and that is basically when the rapture takes place. So God knows, in summary, and again, if you, if you missed all this, you can go back, it's on our podcast. But in summary, God knows when that final number, whoever it is, God doesn't, you know, he, it's not like he forces anybody. We've talked about that with Calvinism. We touched on that last week. But God knows when that last person is that is saved, that is now part of that body of Christ. And once that happens, there's nothing stopping God from calling us home and pulling us out of here through the rapture of the church. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about that. And then lastly, can you be removed from the body? So once you've been baptized in the body, can you be removed? Answer? No, absolutely not. That you are safe and secure. You are safe and secure. And just to kind of jump off from there, go to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be spending a lot of time in Ephesians. But look at Ephesians 1. We ended with this verse last week. Ephesians chapter 1. And someone read verse 13 and 14. 13 and 14. Okay, go ahead, Emily. You've got it. And whom he also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Okay, so I love these two verses because I feel like it's a good summary of point number one. So you hear the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And then it says in verse 13, right after that, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the process of salvation is this. To be part of the body of Christ, you hear the gospel. You hear the truth of the gospel. You hear the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for you. And that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins personally. Because you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do to uh, get rid of the wrath of God on you. There's literally nothing you can do. It's like when you say something and the words go out of your mouth, you cannot pull those words back. Once you sin, you have become a sinner. And there's nothing you can do about it. So after you become a sinner and you can't erase that, you can't go back on it, no matter how many good deeds you do, you're still a sinner. Now, what do you do about that? You need a substitute. You need someone who's going to take your place and take God's wrath upon himself and give you his life. And that is Christ. That's exactly what he did. There's no sin found in him. None whatsoever. And in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 21 says that, that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When I think of the word propitiation, I think of the word trade. It is, the, it is probably the most, one of the most powerful uh, words in, when it comes to the gospel and what happened with that transaction. But it was, it's literally that God, Jesus, traded traded you like I, when I was a kid I used to I, I love basketball cards and even younger than that you guys might even know what they're but pogs anybody know what pogs are 
Okay, back in the day. All right, so Pogs, they're like little cardboard discs, and it was this game that we used to play. So if you're super retro, go back and find it, and then, you know, you can get into that. So anyway, um, or if you're hipster, I'm sure a bunch of hipsters probably play that too. So anyway, so when it comes to the Pogs, there were certain ones that were like, man, this is an amazing one, whether it's the graphic on it or what it was made of or whatever. It's like trading cards. Same thing. I, I, had a, I still have a bunch of Michael Jordan trading cards that I will not get rid of because I'm going to hang on to them for as long as I can because Michael Jordan's better than any basketball player in existence. I don't care what you got to say. So anyway, especially if you throw in the politics of it all. So anyway, so anyway, so when you when you start to look at all that, and, and I would see, there's this card that I wanted, or I would trade my dad because he had a sweet collection. And so I'm like, Dad, I will give you like four or five things if you give me this one card. He's like, no way. And I would try to wear him down and wear him down and wear him down. And finally, he would trade me one. I'm like, yes. Like I thought I won like a million bucks. And so we think of a trade as something equivalent. Like, I will give you this if I get this in return, and it's an equal trade. Well, from God's perspective, it's totally not that way at all. Like, at all. Like, in religion, religion tells you, you've sinned against God. Now you have to do X number of good deeds to erase your sin. It doesn't work like that at all. Here's what God says, all right? You come to a spot where you understand that you, there's literally nothing you can do. And since there's nothing you can do, you just trust me because I took the hit for you already. And if you're willing to believe me and trust me that I've taken the hit as Jesus Christ, your Savior, then I will take your sin upon myself and I will give you my righteousness. That is like the most unfair trade in the world. But that's exactly what God did. And for him, it was worth it. Like for us, we look at that and say it's not fair at all. But from God's perspective, it is worth it. Tell me why. Why is it worth it from God's perspective? What is he gaining? Now, now I'm second-guessing myself. Okay. <clears throat> yes. Our fellowship? Yes, us. Well, see, you shouldn't hesitate. <laughs> now you learn. Life lesson. Write this down, Emily. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he gains us. Like, this is what God always wanted. I mean, why does God love you? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God love you? Why does he love me? I mean, he knows everything there is to know about me, flaws and all. Why would he give a rip about me? Is creation and he loves us? Yes, because he loves us. But when you look at it on paper, like if you were to put all your good qualities and say, all right, God, here's why you should love me. Like, it doesn't exist. Like, there's nothing, nothing on there. We, we are totally, we negate anything that would come close to a reason that God would accept us. It's because he loves us and he's just chosen to love us. He cares about us. That's the most amazing thing in the world. And so for God to take our sin upon himself, not knowing if we would actually receive his righteousness or not, is amazing. Absolutely amazing to me. That he would love each and every person so deeply and so madly that he would do something like that is astounding to me. And so once that happens in verse 13, after you hear the gospel and you choose to believe it, then you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, sealed by God. And it says in verse 14, which is that sealing of the Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And again, last week, like I talked about, once God's ready to pop open that bag of chips, then you're going to be raptured out. If you remember that one from last week. All right. Anyway, that's borderline blasphemous. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. You can listen to the podcast. All right. So anyway, so when God decides, all right, now is that time of redemption. Now you are mine and you're going to be with me forever. You are sealed and there's nothing you can do to lose it. So I love that. All right, so let's move on to point number two, the body's purpose. The body's purpose. So this will be at the top of page 10. The body's purpose. 
So, what is it supposed to do? What is it supposed to do? There's several things in here uh, in the book of Ephesians that really lay this out really nicely. Give me someone that can go to 1 John 1.3. 1 John 1, 3. Go ahead, you can take that one. All right, so Ephesians. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 3. We're going to jump at a few different spots here, and I'm going to put this together. So what is the body supposed to do? Ephesians 3, verse 21. Hold on, I want you to read that one. 321. Um, okay. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, so what is the body supposed to do according to that verse? Yeah, bring glory to God. Glorify God. Glory in the church. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So, not just at the beginning of the body or in the process of building the body, but the body, the church, is supposed to glorify God throughout all eternity future. That's what it's supposed to do. And that's what it will do for sure. So there's that one. Uh, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Just back it up one, verse 22. Someone read that one. 222. 222. Go ahead. In whom we also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Okay, so what's his purpose there? What's it supposed to do based on that verse? To be a what? Live inside of us. Okay, yeah. I would go more with what it just says. It says it really clearly. Okay, even more simple than that. I would just go with what exactly it says right there. For an habitation of God. What is a habitat? What is a habitat? A home, an environment where God can dwell. So if you were to take, I don't know, like a, a box. <laughs> now it's more thinking about like a living creature. <laughs> okay, what is a dolphin's natural habitat? The ocean. The ocean. Yes, the ocean. A box. And if you're yeah, a box. Oh, wait, <laughs> not for very long. You know what? Let's just run with this. Okay, so dolphin. All right. So you got your dolphin. All right. So you got your dolphin. You take that dolphin out out of its habitat, and you give it a new one. You put it in a box. Isaac's box, okay? It's a waterproof box. No, 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 it's, it's just a box. It's an Amazon box. From the fridge. No, Amazon. All right, so what would happen to that dolphin over time? It would dry up. It would be dead. And why? Because it's in a box. Yes, it's not in his natural habitat. Okay. It's a mammal it can breathe. Okay, <laughs> you think this through, and we can talk about it later. Okay, so so here's my point with that. You take anything, even if you take a tropical plant, and you were throw it out in this weather, like this morning. I mean, it's dead. You know, it's dead. I mean, stuff's already gonna have a hard time surviving. So, think about that for a second. We, the Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 3, we are sinners through and through. We are God's enemies. Uh, we, we are ungodly. And yet God chooses to dwell in us. I mean, the, the, the only other illustration I can think of is some of the stuff that Bobby and Brain are going through. They bought a house. And so in buying the house... As, well, as it is, they're like, okay, yeah, but we need to blow out this wall. We need to do this. We're going to change this. We're going to change this. They want to make it a habitat for them and their family. This is this best for them. So God comes in at salvation, and who you are on the inside is not a habitable place for God. Now, the Spirit has performed some spiritual surgery and has made it proper so that way He can move in, but there's things that He wants to change. 
He wants to change stuff inside of you because he can't live in you as you are. This is normal. This is what's called sanctification. It's the process of, of becoming sanctified unto God. And so this process that begins to take place, he's going to, he's going to bust out this wall in your life. He's going to rip off this old 1970s wallpaper and he's going to put up new drywall and he's going to paint it. He's going to remodel the bathroom and he's going to do, I mean, he's going to do, start doing all this different kind of stuff because he wants a habitable place where he can dwell comfortably. And so this is why sometimes when people get saved, they have a hard time adjusting to this new life because they don't want God to start wrecking stuff in their life however He wants. But the reality is, is that He made you, right? So He's your Creator. And then after you're saved, He is your Redeemer. So He's bought you like twice. You exist because of Him, and then He shed His blood for you. So you twice over belong to God. So why would we not let God do whatever he wants inside of us? We ought to. That's the only way God can be glorified. And if we don't let God, because he's not going to force you to do it, if we don't let God have his way in us and be glorified, then, I mean, there's, there's literally nothing else he can do, and then you're going to be a miserable Christian. This is why a lot of people are miserable Christians today. Because they're not being submissive to the Spirit of God. And if they call themselves Christians and they have no problem saying no to God, then they're probably not saved to begin with. So you need to really think through this because there's a lot of people that think they're okay when they're really not. So it is supposed to be a habitation, a habitation. Uh, look at Ephesians 4, 16. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now that's a mouthful, but when you start working your way through it, you start to find out what he's saying here is that the body is made to be fitly joined together and compacted and worked together effectually to increase and edify itself in love through Christ. So the body is never supposed to shrink. It's never supposed to shrink. It's never supposed to be disjointed. And one of the greatest illustrations is looking at your own body. I mean, how many of you have ever had a dislocated arm or finger? How does that go? <laughs> Feels incredible. But when your arm is dislocated, your fingers, can you use it? No. No, but it's still attached. But then what do you have to do? Wait for it to pop back in. Wait for it to pop back in or get it pop back in. Oh, Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Pop! <laughs> yeah. And it hurts to get that done from what I've been told. I, I mean, I've never had it done. Thank God that I've never had that done. I've had other things like this happen in my life, which is awesome. It's starting to fall off. I know. It takes a while. It only grows like a few millimeters every month anyway. So anyway, so... I had a friend of mine, we were playing basketball together, and uh, he was driving in on a layup, and, or going, driving in for a layup, and he stepped on this guy's ankle, and he rolled his ankle, and dislocated it. Let's go. And I saw that, and I went, <laughs> no, I was not going to go anywhere near that. It looked not human. It was gross. You could see all the tendons. You could see the blood vessels. You could see everything. It's like, it was, it was bad. I mean, it was, it was bad. So the paramedics came, they got him, and they got him to the hospital and everything. It, was, it did not look good. Not look good. Okay, spiritual application. All right. So when we do things where we make some mistakes... 
or we do something where we're not functioning properly. I'm telling you, when the body parts get pulled out of place and they cannot function and it's painful to put them back in and they look hideous, it's almost like, man, you should probably just cut that bad boy off. I mean, that's how the body of Christ looks and it looks terrible and it's not functioning properly. So think about that as a picture because he puts that right in there in Ephesians 4.16. All right, 1 John 1, 1.3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may, may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, fellowship. Because we have things in common. Fellowship. You've heard the phrase before, fellows in a ship. <laughs> All right. But you have things in common. You're, you're pursuing the same things together. And that's why even when you have a crew on a ship, if someone goes rogue, man, it is not good. Mutiny is terrible on a ship. So when it comes to the body, the purpose of the body is supposed to work together, be fitly joined together, not dislocated, to increase, to edify or to build itself up, to be a habitation of God through the Spirit, to have intimate fellowship with God, and to really eternally glorify God through Jesus Christ. Take a look at one more verse. I love this verse. It's in Ephesians 3. Take a look at verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world, hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent. All right, so to the intent. So God created this thing called the body. To the intent. This is another purpose. That now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the other big reasons why the church exists and one of its purposes is that when the body is obedient to God, fitly working together, and, and working properly, not disjointed, glorifying God, building itself up, edifying itself, God uses it as a way to rub it in the face of the devil. It's mm -hmm. exactly what it says here. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God wants to use you as a sounding board for His wisdom. You are a living proof, a living example of God's wisdom to the unseen world. Because there is no reason why you should be in the body of Christ. There is no reason that God should be gracious to you, merciful, patient, loving, kind, forgiving. There's no reason, yet he has, because you willfully submitted yourself to his authority. And as you do that, and you glorify God in such a way that God can say, look at my kids, look at my body. They're glorifying me despite all the things you throw at them. It's incredible. I wish we could dive into that. It's so good. It's so good. All right, letter B. How does it fulfill its purpose? How does it fulfill its purpose? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. All right, verse 11. And he gave, talking about Christ, giving certain gifts, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
So how is it supposed to do this? How is it supposed to fulfill its purpose? Well, he's given certain roles here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints. The first thing, as far as your responsibility, is it, once you're saved, is your next step is to become perfected. Your next step is to be perfected, the perfecting of the saints, which means you have to admit that you're not perfect, which if you have that problem, then you know I guess there's other issues you have to deal with. But you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And so I have to be perfected. And this is where, again, the illustration of God moving in, doing some house renovations, getting stuff in, out, whatever, so that way he can have a habitable place. That is the first step is being perfected. What area of your life that you know you're just being disobedient and God in, and he wants that to be perfected for his honor and for his glory? That's what he wants to do. And you might come up with a list of like 10 things. I remember sitting in classes like this as a teenager, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I've got like 10, 12 different things that I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I struggle with this, I struggle with this, I struggle with this, I struggle with this. Ugh. Sometimes it would get super overwhelming. Okay, here's how I would make it very, very simple. Very, very simple. When it comes to your walk with God, what keeps tripping you up? What is the one thing? What is the one thing that keeps tripping you up that, that prevents you from really walking with God? Just one. The biggest thing, the biggest glaring thing, the thing where the Holy Spirit's putting a big spotlight saying, hey, right here, this is what I'm talking about. That's what He wants you to deal with first. There might be other things to take care of for sure. And maybe He wants you to do multiple things, but what is something that God wants to take care of that you need to be perfected in? And God has given you pastors, teachers, evangelists, like he says in verse 11, for the perfecting of the saints. This is part of my responsibility. This is why in churches today, frankly, pastors and teachers and Bible teachers that will not open up the Bible and confront you with God's truth are actually doing you a great disservice and they're being disobedient to God. It is part of my responsibility to perfect you, to help you to see the things in your life that are not right that you need to get right with God. Because that's what God wants. He wants you to be perfected. And so he wants you to be perfected. And then the next step for the work of the ministry. You know, I would probably say that the reason why you may not be as active in the work of the ministry, like witnessing to people, or even talking to people about discipleship, or doing whatever else that God may be convicting you of. My guess is the reason why you're not doing that is because you aren't allowing Him to perfect you. Because that's what it says, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. You can't do the work of the ministry properly until you are perfected. So take care of those things that God's telling you to take care of, and then you'll have more boldness and confidence to go and minister on His behalf to the world. But if you're not willing to be perfected, then there's no way you're going to be active in the work of the Lord. There's no way. But if you're willing to be perfected, then you'll dive into the work of the ministry, and then the last four in verse 12, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The body is edified and built together and grows up by the work of the Lord. That's the only way it can happen, according to this verse. So that means that you need to be perfected. Let God work in you, work out of you the things He wants to work in and out of you. Get busy doing the work of the ministry, and then the body's going to be built. It really is this simple. God lays this out like foolproof. Like, I don't have to create some fancy-schmancy outline. God put it right there. This is how it's supposed to work. You get perfected, you do the work, and the body will be edified. Boom. Done. So when we struggle as a youth ministry... It's because you're not willing to be perfected. This is why we see a lot of growth coming out of camp. Because you spend a lot of time, and, and God's voice is a lot clearer, and the, the whole motivation to get right with God is a lot easier. 
And so you come out of camp going gangbusters, like, I'm going to read my Bible like every day, and not just every day, every morning, every night, every afternoon. You know, I'm going to read my Bible, my whole Bible, every day. I'm going to witness to my whole school. My whole school's going to get saved. And we come out just with this, like, awesome. <laughs> you know, just start with, like, a verse, and you know, like, one person. And we try to, you know, work at that and make it realistic. But the thing is, is that that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. Because you need to be perfected. It's what happens after. It's what happens months later when we get back into our routines where we, we stop wanting to be perfected. We think, you know what? I've had enough perfection now. I'm, God, I'm good. But then as soon as you do that, you're done doing the work. You won't open up your mouth because now you're, you're, you're saying no to God. And if you say no to God, then you're going to be saying yes to sin. That's just a given. And so when you say no to God and you say yes to sin, then you're not going to want to open up your mouth and be able to talk to people about God because you're not going to have anything to say because you're a walking hypocrite. So go back, repent, and do the first works. It's exactly what God says in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Ephesus. Go back, repent, and do the first works and get back on track. Get perfected. Do the work, and then the body will be edified. I love that. And then once that's happening, verse 13, then we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. And then you'll really grow in verse 14 that you're not going to be children anymore tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine because you're going to be able to have strength. Because, and this is how it happens. This is how the spiritual growth happens. It's beautifully laid out here in Ephesians chapter 4. So that's how it fulfills its purpose. You get perfected, you do the work, you get edified, then you're unified, and then you're strengthened, and then you're a force to be reckoned with. And that can only happen as we do it together, which means you need to be doing it individually first before we can actually do it together. That's the body's purpose, and that's how it fulfills its purpose. All right, let's talk about number three, the body's design. The body's design... All right, how is it built? How is it built? All right, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm starting to fight off the heat. It's getting warm in here again. Getting toasty. It's getting toasty. The box isn't big enough. Let's roll. <laughs> yeah, the dolphin box is not big enough. Like, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, here we go. First Corinthians 12. Take a look at verse 7. Verse 7. We'll back it up to verse 6. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation or the making clear of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. We'll come back to that in a minute. So this is talking about when you're baptized into the body of Christ and the Spirit gives you certain gifts. And then verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one... And hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So this is very easy to understand. It's built like the natural body. 
like the natural body. So this is my whole body, and yet my finger is a part of my body, my thumb's a part of my body, my big toe's part of my body, my knee's part of my body, my elbow, my pits, everything is a part of my body, okay? So it's a singular part, but its identity is found in the whole. That's how the church is supposed to be. If you're born again, you are part of the body. You are a member of the body, but the body is one. It is one, and it's supposed to function that way too. So it's built similar to how a body is put together. So that means the moment that someone is born again, they are gifted by the Holy Spirit, and they're placed into the body as He sees fit. And take a look again at verse 7. I want you to see this, because this is something very important. We covered this months ago, pre-COVID, when it came to the spiritual gift study that we were doing. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So this manifestation or this gift of the Spirit is given to every single person that is saved. And the purpose is to profit who? You? With all. All. Everyone else. There are so many people that have a completely mixed up understanding of spiritual gifts. They find their identity in their spiritual gift. And I'm telling you, that's not how it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is that you serve God, you serve the body, you start doing things to benefit the mission of God, the body of God, and then your gift will profit everyone else, not you. Not you. It's not for you. It's for the whole body. Like my finger, it has a function, it has a purpose, or even my thumb, or even these two working together. You, know, you can't pinch. Have you ever injured your thumb before and tried to pick something up? It's kind of weird. You're like, <laughs> and you can make it happen because you're like, oh, hey, hey. But it's not, it's not supposed to work, right? You're supposed to be able to, to use your thumb and your finger together to pick something up. So, but they don't get any benefit out of that, right? Like, there's no, like, hey, I did awesome. I'm so good out. Like it, <laughs> but yet, that's how Christians behave. That's how they behave. Like, I know one of my, my spiritual gifts is teaching. One of my spiritual gifts is preaching. And there's other things, too. But when I do this, like, this isn't for me. Like, this is not something where, like, I am now, like, somehow, you know, stronger or better. Like, this is not for my, my benefit. Whenever I teach, whenever I'm doing something that God has gifted me to do, it is to, for the benefit of everybody else, for everyone else. It's not for me. Now, there are things that God, that He will do in me, and He will change in me for sure, and there are benefits that I do get out of it, but the intent is not for me. It is for you. The moment that I begin to think that this is for me, it's over. It is over. It is absolutely over, because now I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking of only about me, and that's how a lot of pastors go completely off the deep end, completely off the deep end. So that is its purpose. It's built like a body, and it's to profit the whole body. Why is it built this way? You know, Ephesians 5 and John 15, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 12. The picture in 1 Corinthians 12 is a, is a physical body. In Ephesians 5, you can see the picture in a husband and wife relationship. And then in John 15, you see the relationship between the vine and the branch. All three of those pictures are pictures of the body of Christ. And there's more, but those are three big ones that God puts out there. The husband and wife cannot function in their family without being on the same page and united. It's not going to happen. They have to have the same heart, the same mind. Even if they disagree on stuff, they have to come to some kind of an agreement to be able to move forward for the benefit of their family and to even prosper their family. Otherwise, it's going to end up just completely split in divorce. 
So that's how it's supposed to work. A husband and wife are a team. The husband is the leader. The wife is a leader in the family, but the husband is responsible before God. And they together make these decisions to glorify and honor God, but they're making them together. The moment the husband makes a decision without the wife, the moment the wife makes a decision without the husband, it's now not going to function properly. Same with the vine and the branch. You have a vine, and then you have the branch coming off of it. The branch needs the vine in order to bear the fruit. That's what John 15 talks about. The vine needs the branch in order to bear the fruit. But you separate the two, and nothing can happen. And that's how it's supposed to be. Same thing with the body. A body can function for only so long with parts missing. But eventually, it's going to break down. It's not going to function, it's not going to function right. The body is meant to function all together. And so God did it this way because He wants you to be more interconnected with one another. He did this on purpose. And He knows us because all of us have different opinions, different experiences, different thoughts, different personalities. We'll clash on things. But I'm telling you, if you are willing to see the benefits in all the differences of everybody, it will make you more mature. It'll make you more effective. Sometimes we feel like we don't need certain people in our life because they're just such a bother or, you know, no, that's not how it's supposed to work at all. Not at all. First Corinthians 12 even lays that out very, very clearly. Um, in fact, let's just jump to it. It's really good. So go to, um, let's see here. Uh, verse 15, we try where we left off. Verse 15, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Of course not. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased them. And if they were all one member, where were the body? There would be no body if they're all an eye, if they're all an ear, if they're all a foot. But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, now this is interesting, because God says almost the exact opposite. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. What's interesting about this is that there are certain things that you're like, you know what, I don't need this part of my body. Like, I don't, that's just a complete waste. Complete waste. Like, what is the purpose of this part of your body? And scientists even argue, like, the appendix. The appendix was profitable at one part, and now it's not profitable anymore, or whatever. But how do we know all that? I mean, theoretically, when you start to look at it, and they're practicing medicine, the way that God's put the body together is that there are certain people that you think, oh my gosh, this church would not be able to exist without this person. And a lot of people say it's the pastor. Baloney! I don't think so. I think the roles and responsibilities that we place much honor upon are things that are, honestly, we could do without, especially in a disciple-making church. How many times have you heard Pastor Tom say, if he were to fall over dead one day, he has great confidence that there are other men that can step up and take the lead of our church. Our church will not fold if Pastor Tom leaves. And that's how it's supposed to work. Or what, what if something happens where we can no longer congregate here in our building? Have you ever thought that? I've thrown it out a couple times. Have you ever thought about that? That you'd actually have to start doing churches in people's homes, kind of under the radar? Well, then how's it going to function then? 
we're going to have to have men step up in our church to become pastors at the drop of a hat and to take care of the people in their surrounding area. You don't need a church building like this in order to function as a church. And yet people put all this time and money into buildings. And they put all this honor upon these roles. You know, you don't need a huge band. You don't even need anyone musically talented. Just play a recording and people sing because it's not about the instruments. It's about your heart towards God. I mean, there are so many things we place such great emphasis on and we neglect all these other people. I think some of the people that are neglected the most in our church, and they ought not to be, are people that have, um, they're elderly. They have wealth of wisdom. Wealth of wisdom. And you would do well to get to know them. Some of our guys have been spending time with some of the retired men in their study. And we even had a testimony of one of our, our, our students that got saved and was discipled by a guy who was retired. And the guy who was retired was like, what can I offer? I'm just this old guy. And it worked out that it was exactly like the wisdom that the old man had and the stupidity of the young man, some of you know who I'm talking about, as they came together was actually a great benefit to him and it helped him out tremendously. And yet some people treat old people like they're like nothing. It's terrible. Or what about people that are handicapped? Or people that are, that are old, they're, they're, they're so old. Like there's a guy that comes, sweet guy, oh my gosh. He comes every Sunday, second service, Bob Gordon. You guys know who I'm talking about? He's in the wheelchair. So one of the reasons why they're at our church, I'm taking extra time, but whatever. One of the reasons why they're at our church is because they would go to this smaller church up in Akron. And, uh, and so the, old, the older lady who takes care of him is his caretaker. You know, she's getting a little bit older. She's having a hard time getting him out of the vehicle and everything. And, and so this, this church that they would go to, she would tell me, they would stand at the door and they would just watch me struggle as I'm trying to get him out of the vehicle. She said, I come here and the ushers, the guys are waiting at the door for me. And I'm not even out of the car. And they're starting to get Bob out of the car into his wheelchair and wheel him in without me even saying anything. I'm like, that's incredible. I love stopping to talk to Bob. He just had his like 93rd birthday or 95th birthday or something like that. And it was the week after and I stop and I talk with him on a Sunday morning and I'm like, Bob, it is so good to see you. And he's wearing this purple like sweater with this vest thing. And I'm like, you look really good in purple. He's like, do I? I'm like, yes, you do. But there's just, whenever you take some time and you just humble yourself and you start interacting and spending time with people that are in that kind of a, uh, state where they're later on in life or they have a, uh, a deformity or if they have a handicap of any kind or anything like that at all, there is something that God does inside of you that touches you in ways that our culture just wants to completely disregard these people. It's wrong. Like even the opportunity that we have to go down to the Refuge of Hope and just stock their pantry and to sit with some of the people that are workers there. I mean, that's a great opportunity. There's something that starts to build your character when you start to do that. Our body would not function the way that it does without having some of the older people that we would tend to just naturally think we don't need them. We need them tremendously, tremendously we need them. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And shame on us if we think anything like that, anything opposite of that. So it's built this way on purpose. God has tempered it together. The weak spots are weak spots on purpose. The feeble spots are feeble spots on purpose. The parts that are more private are private on purpose. And he's done that because it's supposed to function together. Just because somebody's out front doesn't mean they're the most important part. You can survive without having a voice. You absolutely can. You can survive without having eyes. People prove that each and every day.
All right, so that's how it's built. It's built that way because God's mirroring these spiritual truths. It's really, really good. Now, let's hit our last two points here. How does the body work locally versus worldwide? So, um, there's no doubt uh, from Ephesians. In fact, take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. We'll jump back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. That there is what's called the universal church or the worldwide church. And this body of Christ spans not only location on the planet, but it also includes people that have passed on before us. And they're already dead and they're with the Lord currently. So Ephesians chapter 3, take a look at verse, um, verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's talking about the church and he's saying this whole family, the family that's in heaven, they've already passed away, and the family that are currently in their physical bodies on the earth, the whole family is named. So there is this universal church or this worldwide church. But when you look at it in the book of Acts, it's only manifested on a local level. You can only see the body here, like in our local church. And you can even see it if one local church is with another local church and they're doing something together, you can kind of see it. But you can only really see the body at work locally. So as we participate in our local church, we're participating in the universal or the worldwide church for sure. And so there is that worldwide universal church. There are people that believe some very strange doctrines when it comes to that. Yes, there's a universal church, but it's only manifested on a local level. And just because we're bound in these physical bodies and that's the only way it can really work. But you can see that in, in the book of Acts, um, how there was a church in Jerusalem, there's a church in Antioch. Uh, you can even take a look at, even in your Bible, the, this book to the, to the Ephesians. There's a church in Ephesus. There's a church in Colossae. There's a church in Thessalonica. The titles of your New Testament epistles are written to these local churches. Same thing in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. All right, and then lastly, where and how do I fit into the whole design? Go to Acts 13. Acts 13. We already talked about the 1 Corinthians 12. It's the best passage, but Acts 13 shows you a way that it's worked out in practical, real life. And we've already touched on that a little bit with the Ephesians 4 passage. Acts 13. Okay, so setting up the context here real quick, you have Paul who was saved uh, in Acts chapter 9. And then uh, after that happens in Acts 8, Acts 9, he starts to do some ministry work and then moves forward a little bit, and you got Acts 13. So now Paul is in Antioch, and he is serving in the church in Antioch with other pastors. In verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now watch this pattern. As they ministered to the who? The Lord. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. God called Paul and Barnabas for a specific mission as they ministered to the Lord in Antioch. They were serving in their local church. This is why we're so big on serving in your local church. If you never commit to serving your local church, God will never direct you where He wants you to go. It's not going to happen. That's how God directed my path, is because I planted myself in here, I became a member of our church, and I started jumping into various ministries, and I just started participating in anything and everything that I could. Like you guys jumping into VBS, you need to get into VBS. 
VBS is a venue through which you can start exercising some of your gifts and abilities and talents. You'll find out what you're good at. You'll find out what you're really not good at. You'll find out other things that you, you're kinda, I can see myself doing this, but I need to improve, I need to grow. You start doing stuff like that and you start serving in this ministry and in that ministry and you start doing this and this and then through the process of all of it, God's going to direct you down the path that He wants you to go. But more than that, it's not just ministering and serving your local church, it's ministering to the Lord. Lord. So many of us focus on serving in our church that we forget who are you serving. You're serving the Lord first. I am not the leader of this ministry, and I don't oversee other ministries of our church because that's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing this for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. He is to whom I will give an account for how good I did, how bad I did, things that I missed, everything. All the good and the bad, I'm going to give an account for that. But I need to minister to Him first. So that means, God, I need to be right first. So... Deal with me, perfect me, again, Ephesians 4, perfect me so that way I can serve you and then I can serve this body properly and then direct me where you want me to go. It really is that simple. It's really that simple. But most people don't do that. Most people don't do that. They just kind of choose whatever career path they want to do and they just start running down that path without any hesitation and then even ask God uh, what they're supposed to do. So how do you fit in the whole design? Well, the first thing is you got to get saved. Once you're saved, the Spirit of God, He baptizes you into His body, and He spiritually gifts you. After you get saved, you now need to get perfected. You need to let God have His way in you. You need to let Him rule and reign and do whatever He wants to do in your life. And you need to get busy starting to serve your body. That means serving in this ministry, actively serving in this ministry, not just coming here because you're going to get fed, but you are a, a contributing member of this senior high ministry. The, the, and here's a great way to ask that question. If you weren't here for four weeks, would anything change? If you personally were not here for four weeks, would anything change? And it might change on a small scale, or it might change on a big scale. I don't know. But if you weren't here for four weeks, you know how much of an impact you've been having serving your ministry. So get busy serving in the ministry God has provided for you now at this phase of life. Get busy doing vacation Bible school. For those of us that are going to Mexico, we're going to go to Mexico. We're going to serve. We come back. Get, get busy when it comes to your, what you're going to do at school, when you're in this ministry, any, anywhere that God can have you. I mean, going into the children's ministry, teaching, helping as a helper on a Sunday morning, that would be helpful. Anything like that at all. Just get busy doing what God has told you to do in serving the church. And through ministering to the Lord and, the, and serving in His church, He will lead you where He wants you to go. And then God will direct your path for sure. All right, so that's the body's design. Okay, any questions? That was a lot, but I wanted to try to get through that tonight. Okay, so here's my question to you then. So what are you going to do about it? You've heard all these things, now what are you going to do about it? There should be at least one or two things that you know you've got to nail down. You've got to nail down. This is too critical for your growth personally and for our ministry to just ignore and pass it off as another message or another Sunday school thing that we just, yeah, blah, 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 that we teach at our church. Like, this is critical. What you do with what you heard is going to either cause great successes or even in some ways perpetuate more failures because you're not being obedient to what God has told you to do. Even if it's something small, get after it and get it done. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together tonight. Um, I do pray that we would be obedient to the things that you convicted each of us of.
Um, I know when it comes to me personally, I've been thinking a lot about my own personal stewardship of the ministry you've entrusted to me. And, um, and sometimes I forget some of these things. I forget um, uh, what I'm supposed to do and the mindset I'm supposed to have, the heart I'm supposed to have. Uh, and it's not right. So help me to remember that and uh, even to repent of some of the things that I need to repent of. Um, so thank you, God, for always working on us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. I do pray that we'd honor you. Your word makes it clear that this time in history is a time that's marked by selfishness. And not just out in the world, but also within the church. And so I pray, God, that you'd help us to, to not really fail. Uh, and to not be selfish, but to be selfless. To follow the example that you've given us. And to follow the patterns you've given us. So that you would truly be glorified all the way up until the end. And so, God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take some time before you head out and uh, share some prayer requests with each other and pray, and then you guys are dismissed after that.